and welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Christy, and as ever, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Andy Bannister. Andy, hey, good to see you. How are you doing, buddy? I'm uh, I'm doing well, Christy, up here uh, up here, here in Scotland. How is life down in, uh, well, trust, I'm assuming sunny London from the forecast? <laughs> Not that you can see it from my study at the moment, but um, yeah, it's looking all right. It's all right. It's getting quite cold at the moment, though. I was outside the other day with huge blankets around me, but it's probably colder for you in Dundee, right? You southerners, you don't know what cold means, mate, but there we are. No, right. What a time to be alive. Anyway. Brilliant. So, Christy, who have we got joining us on the show today? We have the wonderful Ed Shaw. Ed, it's so great to have you. Welcome, brother. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, it's great to be with you from sort of sunny-ish Bristol. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but it is it's cold here as well. I went out on a walk. I realised I realised uh, this morning that I hadn't seen, I hadn't been outside yesterday. You know, that's the problem about lockdown, isn't it? You sort of almost be sort of you you feel locked down. And I actually went out this morning, and it was sunny but yeah. cold. Well, it's funny you say the fear, uh, the sort of the, exactly what lockdown does to you. I went in Scotland. Cafes are now open, and I went into inside into a cafe yesterday for the first time in months. It felt very weird sitting inside with with other people and. Well, Ed, you've got kind of many strings to your bow. You're a, you're a pastor of church. Uh, you've, uh, you're involved with an organization called Living Out, which we may talk a bit about as the show goes on. Written uh, many kind of books. And the most recent book uh, you've written is Purposeful Sexuality, which I thought was a great thing to perhaps chat about for the next 20 minutes. Because I think one of the things I've realized is the whole question of, of sex and sexuality. Christians are, I think, so afraid of questions around that that it keeps them back from evangelism in the first place, right? They don't even open their mouths at work or at university because they're afraid someone will say, oh, you're, you're a Christian, you know, you're, you're anti-gay, uh, you're homophobic, you're whatever, whatever. And so they're afraid and they say nothing. Um, what are some thoughts you might sort of have into how we can perhaps just break that paradigm straight away? There's some things that we can do differently in, in terms of A, not getting shut down by that and B, getting past that fear in the first place. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think the the first thing to do is to name the fear, really. And I, I, certainly a story from my life of actually realising this was was a conversation with the guy that comes to service my boiler every year. And he knows I'm a church pastor and he's a real, t- I mean, he talks the whole time he's servicing the boiler. So I always know that I'm going to have two hours conversation with him when he comes. Um, and he knows I'm a church pastor and we've talked about that a lot. And recently, or about two years ago, I started doing less for, for church and more for living out. And... Um, I knew he was coming around and I knew we'd talk about work because he always asked me about work. And I thought, well, am I going to have the guts to tell him that I work for uh, Living Out, which is a charity that helps uh, people, helps churches, helps society think about faith and sexuality? And and am I going to tell him that I'm a gay person who thinks that gay sex is wrong? Um, and I found myself <laughs> just sitting at my desk in the morning, knowing that he was coming, thinking, oh, I'm not. And I thought, no, he's going to do this. I thought this is ridiculous. And so he was saying, you know, he, we had our annual catch up and he said, what, what's work? And I said, well, I started working part time for a charity. So what does the charity do? And I said, well, it's, it's a charity for, for gay people who think that gay sex is wrong because they're Christians. And, <laughs> which was the little phrase I'd sort of worked on that morning. And there was a long silence for the first time from him because he's really chatty. And he said, that sounds very interesting. <laughs> and we had a good conversation because actually it is quite interesting. I mean, it's, you know, that just that little sort of statement was, you know, was just getting was getting him to really think about, you know, I mean, probably didn't realise there was a, there was it was possible to be a gay person who's a Christian who thinks that gay sex is wrong. And just out of that sort of odd mix of things, 
we had a good conversation um, and I began to break through the fear of talking about what I do with quite a lot of my life. Um, now, and I'm in a pretty unique position working for a charity that helps, <laughs> that, you know, that helps, that, that exists to sort of help and support gay Christians who think that gay sex is wrong. But in some ways, just beginning to think of some phrasing I could use um, that he as a non-Christian could understand, mm. but would also be in a helpful way provocative, I think was really important. Mm. So I think, you know, just sometimes for me, it really was sitting down at my desk thinking, how can I put this in a sentence that will, that will, he will understand and that might provoke a conversation. Um, and I think, you know, without all becoming people who spend our time thinking of sound bites, sometimes actually just thinking, mm, how, how could I put it in a way that my um, non-Christian friends, neighbours, um, the person that comes to service the boiler could understand um, and just name it as an area of fear and pray into that fear and ask for God to give you the words to say and the way to yeah. say it. Because yeah. I suppose, I mean, that's that's just so helpful for us to think about, Ed. I was just thinking that if, say, I, you have the, the power of your personal story behind that, and I suppose for some of us, if that were me and I were to talk about that, I think I just have the fear of the lack of my own my own personal experience as a as a as a hetero as heterosexual Christian, I wouldn't be able to say, "Well, you know, I'm gay, and I think it's wrong." And I think a lot of that of your your story there is the the personal power that you're living through this is, that adds credibility to it. So I'm just thinking that for how do we kind of combat um, that fear? Because I think for most of us, we kind of think, "Oh gosh, if someone asks me a question about gay sex or sexuality, and you happen to be straight, how do you actually go about moving into that question, knowing that you have no experience, you don't know what that feels like, you don't know what that's um, what that is even like to to go through, let alone answer." Do you have any wisdom as to how how we could go about moving into those conversations if that isn't our our kind of if that isn't our sexuality? Well, I mean, one thing would be to steal steal my story, steal the stories of the people on the Living Out website who are Christians, same-sex attractive Christians who are gay, talking about uh, why they believe in biblical sexual ethics and how that's been good for them. And actually just spending some time watching those stories, hearing those stories as Christians means that in conversation, we can talk about those stories. We could say, I was watching this story last week. I was watching this film last week of a woman called Anne who, and, and in some ways you can use this. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm not saying fake, <laughs> fake, fake, <laughs> you know, fake, fake a different sexuality, but I'm saying borrow our stories <laughs> and use them. And I know that, you know, I, a number of people in my church family have said that when the topic comes up at work in conversation with non-Christian colleagues, and they'll often say, oh, our pastor's gay, um, and uh, he thinks that sex is just for marriage between a man and a woman. And that is so interesting in and of itself. It's so pushing against the narrative that people often become interested in a, in a conversation uh, comes out of that. I think people are so used, aren't they, to particular stories nowadays and, and, and the particular story everybody's used to when it comes to sexuality and uh, being gay in the church is, you know, somebody grows up in the church, discovers they're gay, leaves the church because the church was horrible to them. That's the story most people think are going to be, we're going to be told. And obviously there's, there's enough people that experience that 
to make that story plausible and, and sadly true. But the reality is pushing an alternative story because there are alternative stories. Are there many people within the church who are gay, but who have found out that the person that most meets their desires, most brings wholeness, most gives them an identity that lasts, most gives them a community that they're part of, are people who happen to be gay, but are also Christians who believe what the Bible teaches about sexuality and what the place of sex within marriage. So I think borrow stories. It doesn't have to be your own. You can say, well, I was talking to, I was listening to, I've got a friend, dot, dot, dot. I think the thing about stories as well that is so powerful, you know, it is that we live in a world where everyone's sort of, you know, everyone's advancing their agenda by stories. Our friends in the LGBT community have, have, have you know, used story very powerfully uh, on their side of the discussion. I think Christians, perhaps we've underplayed the power of, of story. In fact, uh, I, I was speaking to, I forget who this was recently, it was a friend, I forget which friend, was, was saying how one of the things they've done for evangelism in the workplace is they always read interesting books at lunchtime. And they, they'd been reading, um, I think it was David Bennett's uh, book, The War of Loves. And so it was an amazing conversation starter because people in the, in the cafeteria at lunchtime were just, well, what book are you reading? And to be able to lead with, well, this is the story, you know, of, uh, of you know, someone who was an atheist and same-sex attracted, now a Christian. So that provoked an incredible conversation through the story of the book. So I think that's, that's fantastic advice as living out. There's obviously books you've written, Dave, uh, you know, um, Sam Albury and others and draw on those. Um, the question I suppose I wanted to press into though here, is there, is one of the reasons though that Christians are perhaps nervous said around sexuality and stumbling into an evangelism, is there, is there a deeper issue that maybe in some parts of the church we've begun to doubt that the gospel is actually good news? You know, it's, it's it kind of it's, you know we we sort of grapple with that. oh the gospel restricts people you know if you're a same-sex attracted person you can't engage in what the world would tell you is 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 good stuff and so we only see the gospel through that negative lens do we need to rediscover what it means for the gospel to be good news not just for 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 men and women who are gay but actually for all of us yeah and i think again back to back to the you know the basic story well, one of the basic stories narratives being told is being gay and a christian being gay and living in the light of traditional Christian sexual ethics makes you miserable. Hmm. And you know, what we're trying to do at Living Out is push back against that. The other story that's been told is that being gay and expressing yourself in a same-sex sexual relationship equals happiness. That, that's, that's one of the big narratives society's telling. And what's interesting is there are increasing voices uh, from gay communities, non-Christian gay communities, saying that that simple equation, being gay living it out in a second in a same-sex sexual relationship isn't equaling happiness and so as well as as it were telling stories of gay christians i think one of the things we need to be doing in the church is is reading stories that are coming out of the lgbt community that are beginning to question their own narrative and are beginning to talk about uh the reality that the story that was meant to end and they all lived happily ever after isn't ending in that way. And it's really important for us to, to hear those stories and to feel the pain so that we can connect with people and we can point out to them that the only story that ends and they all lived happily ever after is the gospel story. Um, and I think we think we don't have a story that's good enough to share that, as it were, could possibly plausibly um, help somebody within a, a gay community come to know Christ, but everybody on this planet is looking for a happy end to their story. Everyone on this planet is looking for an intimacy 
that will last, for an identity that will last. Uh, people within gay communities are so often struggling with deep feelings of shame and with mental health issues. And the answer to all of that is a relationship with Jesus for all of us. And we, we shouldn't fear we've got nothing to offer. I think so often I'll speak to somebody, they, they basically think they're steering, they're steering away from sharing the gospel with gay family members and friends and colleagues because they think that telling about Jesus is going to muck up their life because it's going to change. They're going to, have to, they're going to have to sacrifice so many things. Jesus is not in the business of mucking up anybody's life. Uh, Jesus is in the business of uh, you know, giving us all life to the full and we should not feel uh, worried or ashamed in any way of sharing the gospel with people from LGBT backgrounds, people from LGBT communities, because they're discovering, as all of us are discovering, that secular narratives take you so far, but don't take you uh, to a happy ending, ultimately, and actually don't produce the real intimacy that is offered in a relationship with God in Christ and should be happening in the context of a local church with brothers and sisters in Christ too. So actually, so I think in some ways, a lot of the battle has been to be fought up here in us having the confidence that the gospel is good news for all and that we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation for everyone who believes uh, straight and oh, good stuff. Amen. Amen, brother. And I think that just takes us really nicely onto one of the, the big questions that your book is exploring, which is what is the purpose of, of sexuality? Um, how would you how would you lay that out? How what, what is sexuality even for? I think this is one of the things that I most appreciated about reading your book is that I've read so few things on why, why we are sexual beings um, and how that is fulfilled um, in the gospel. What does yeah, what if you could give us just a few nuggets on that to get us into your book and thinking a little bit more? What is the purpose of sexuality? Ed? Well, this I, just stumbling across this question has been a sort of game changer for me. It's just recognizing as as I was talking with Christians, but also recognizing as I was talking with non Christians and and also other people who um, are Christians but disagree with me on sexual ethics. Is I was sort of as it were trying to make sense of all the conflict all the disagreement and how so often we would just have conversations that went nowhere and would be saying stuff that other people just didn't get and I found that you know giving it some thought and time that the, that the most helpful question that made sense of the disagreement was the question what do you think sexuality is for and asking non-christian friends that and asking Christians who disagree with me on sexual ethics that helped me and them make sense of, of what we're disagreeing about. Because, you know, I'd speak to non-Christian family members and friends, and when you ask them what is sexuality for, they'd basically talk about sexuality as being it's something that brings pleasure, something that's quite recreational in its sort of object, something that um, is about you pleasing yourself and pleasing other people. Um, I would talk to... Um, more liberal Christians, if I can put it like that, and they would talk about sexuality being just about um, bringing you into a committed lifelong relationship with somebody else, but that somebody else possibly being the same sex or the opposite sex, it doesn't really matter. And then I'd be thinking, well, why, why do I think it's so important 
that in a sexual relationship, it's a man and a woman united for life in the covenant of Christian marriage. Why do I think that? Well, the answer is in the question, um, what is sexuality for? And from a biblical point of view, sexuality is there. Yeah, it's there to bring companionship in marriage. It's there to bring children into uh, the world. But fundamentally, sexuality is a gift from God to all of us. And it's a gift that helps me as somebody that's never been in a sexual relationship. It's a gift that helps me grasp the full passion of God's love for me in Christ, just to start with. And I think this is with mind blown. I can remember first reading Ezekiel 16 and being quite bothered by God using all this sexual language to describe his love for his people. And then actually realising, no, this God is taking... God is taking our most powerful emotions and using them to help us grasp the power of his love for us, for his people, and just realising, oh, and actually the God who's taken using sexual language to describe that is the God who created sexuality. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why he gave us sexual feelings is to grasp how passionate he loves his people in Christ. And obviously the biblical trail for that is Ezekiel 16, it's Song of Songs, it's Hosea. It's all the imagery you get um, in the Bible about marriage all the way through and what marriage is there to point us forward to, which is where the world is heading. And this is the other reason why we have sexuality from a biblical point of view, which is, you know, the marriage of God's son, Jesus, to God's people, the church. And I love the idea, uh, the biblical idea, the biblical truth that sexuality and marriage and the union of indifference of a man and a woman is there in creation, yes, to bring companionship and children, but most of all, to point me, to point you, to point us all forward to the fact that the world is going to end with a union indifference, a permanent union indifference between a man and a woman, between God's son Jesus and his bride, the church, and that that is going to be better than any union here on earth better than any sex on earth it's the it's the fulfillment of it all um and that then you know answering the question in those really quite christian biblical terms helps me and my non-christian friend and my christian friend from a different perspective make sense of our disagreements because for me marriage is it's almost a sacramental thing it, it, it's really significant uh, in and of itself and 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 the visual the union indifference and it being a man and a woman and it being it, it's not just a sort of a thing to bring about kids or just a sort of historical mistake no it's all about the architecture of the, the gospel and actually it's all about the history of the world and where the world is heading um, and that I found being you know I've had conversations where I explain this to both <laughs> non-Christian friends and Christians coming from another perspective and they finally you know they finally thought oh yeah I, I can see why we disagree on this because my non-Christian friend thinks it's just a recreational thing um, my Christian from a different perspective thinks it's just a commitment thing mm. and I think it's all about the gospel mm. I'm good <laughs> I, I think the other thing <laughs> I'm just so conscious we've got about two minutes left because I'd love to go deeper into this. But you know, one of the things that really interests me about what you've answered there, Ed, is a theme that we return to so often on, on Pep Talk with different guests, isn't you know, encouraging folks when we think about evangelism, think about talking about Christ with our friends and our neighbours, and an objection or a question or an issue comes up, is try and be thinking about what's the biggest story that plugs into? Because if we just stay at the surface level of the question, 
you can get tied up in all kinds of knots. But if you can take the person you're talking to back into that bigger story, then as you say, at least people can see, okay, you know, my friend and I are in very different stories. Or better still, hopefully, you can help them see how as a Christian this fits into the into the into the bigger story of Christ. So that would seem to be a takeaway point right there, I think. What's the bigger story, right? Yeah, and just asking questions, because I think when it comes to discussions around gay marriage or gay sex, we think we need to come up with a little PowerPoint presentation that's going to answer everybody's objections rather than, you know, do what Jesus does, which is so often when he's asked a question, he asks the question back. And I would say, so, yeah, that's a re- that's really, ha- what do you think sexuality is for? What do you think marriage is? Um, and actually just the, either of those questions uh, would be really helpful to find out where they're coming from. And there'll be commonality, there'll be connections you can make, but there'll also be big disagreements that will help you make sense of disagreements and give you a chance. You know, it, you know, it turns out it's, it's not a long convoluted route from marriage and sexuality to the gospel. In fact, you can't really talk about marriage and sexuality without talking about the gospel. And so, you know, why we're also afraid of talking about sexuality, I don't know, because it would seem to be one of the quickest routes into telling people about how much Jesus loves them and the hope he offers them. Stunning. Ed, thank you so much. I'm so sorry that we've come to the end of our time. I feel like there's so much more that I just love to ask you and, and chew over with you. Thank you so much for all of the, just the prayer and the, the deep thought and reflection you put into that book in particular. I can't commend it um, highly enough to listeners. Please go and look into Purposeful Sexuality, a short introduction, and by Ed Shaw, it's brilliant. Well, I think that brings us to the end of a pep talk for today. Ed, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, Andy, I think we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time, won't we, with our with our next we will guest? will indeed, yeah. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, again, it's great, Ed, being great having you with us and to join us again for two weeks' time, different guests and uh, another great topic and so bye for now I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. This is a listener-supported podcast. We can only make it with the support of our friends uh, across the country and around the world. And if you'd like to be a part of that community, simply visit the website, thepeptalkpodcast.com, and click on the Support the Podcast button. If you sign up to support uh, Solas and the podcast for as little as £3 a month, as a thank you, uh, we will send you a free copy of my book, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist, or if you prefer, Christie's book, More Truth as a thank you and through your support we can keep making more podcasts like this one